0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Spin a Yarn, a podcast of stories told by myself, Jordan Dawson. Today, for our first ever episode, we have one of my personal favorite short stories, a truly dystopian tale that highlights five humans trapped in the belly of a supercomputer that wiped out all other life on the planet. It is here that the supercomputer Am indefinitely tortures Gorster, Benny, Ellen Imtok, and the narrator of the story, Ted, a hyper-cautionary tale of the dangers of fast-learning AI technology. Without further ado, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, by Harlan Ellison. The body of Gorister hung from the pink pallet, unsupported hanging high above us in the computer chamber, and it did not shiver in the chill, oily breeze that blew eternally through the main cavern. The body hung head down, attached to the underside of the pallet by the sole of its right foot. It had been drained of blood through a precise incision made from ear to ear under the lantern jaw. There was no blood on the reflective surface of the metal floor. When Gorister joined our group and looked up at himself, it was already too late for us to realize that once again, Am had duped us, had had his fun. It had been a diversion on the part of the machine. Three of us had vomited, turning away from one another in a reflex as ancient as the nausea that had produced it. Gorister went white. It was almost as though he had seen a voodoo icon and was afraid of the future. Oh, Lord, he mumbled and walked away. The three of us followed him after a time and found him sitting with his back to one of the smaller chittering banks, his head in his hands. Ellen knelt down beside him and stroked his hair. He didn't move, but his voice came out of his covered face quite clearly. Why doesn't it just in and get it over with. Christ, I don't know how much longer I can go on like this. It was our 109th year in the computer. He was speaking for all of us. Nimdok, which was the name the machine had forced him to use because Am amused itself with strange sounds, was hallucinating that there were canned goods in the ice caverns. Gorister and I were very dubious. It's another shuck, I told them. Like the goddamn frozen elephant am sold us. Benny almost went out of his mind over that one. We'll hike all that way and it'll be putrefied or some damn thing. I say forget it. Stay here. You'll have to come up with something pretty soon or we'll die. Benny shrugged. Three days it had been since we'd last eaten. Worms. Thick. Ropey. Nimdok was no more certain. He knew there was the chance, but he was getting thin. It couldn't be any worse there than here. Colder, but that didn't matter much. Hot, cold, hail, lava, oils, or locusts, it never mattered. The machine masturbated, and we had to take it or die. Ellen decided us. I've got to have something. Dead. Maybe there'll be some Bartlett, pears, or peaches. Please, Ted, let's try it. I gave in easily. What the hell? Mattered not at all. Ellen was grateful, though. She took me twice out of turn. Even that had ceased to matter, and she never came, so why bother? But the machine giggled every time we did it. Loud, up there, back there, all around us. He snickered. It snickered. Most of the time, I thought of AM as it without a soul, but the rest of the time I thought of it as him, in the masculine, the paternal, the patriarchal, for he is a jealous people, him, it, God as daddy the deranged. We left on a Thursday, the machine always kept us up to date on the date, the passage of time was important, not to us, sure as hell, but to him, it, am, Thursday thanks. Nimdok and Gorister carried Ellen for a while, their hands locked to their own in each other's wrists. A seat. Ben and I walked before and after just to make sure that if anything happened it would catch one of us and at least Ellen would be safe. Fat chance. Safe. Didn't matter. It was only a hundred miles or so to the ice caverns and the second day when we were lying out under the blistering sun thing he had materialized He sent down some manna, tasting like boiled boar urine. We ate it. On the third day, we passed through a valley of obsolescence, filled with the rusting carcasses of ancient computer banks. Am had been as ruthless with its own life as with ours. It was a mark of his personality. It strove for perfection. Whether it was a matter of killing off unproductive elements in his own world-filling bulk or perfecting methods for torturing us, Am was as thorough as those who had invented him, now long since gone to dust, could have ever hoped. There was light filtering down from above and we realized we must be very near the surface. We wouldn't try to crawl up to sea. There was virtually nothing out there had been nothing that could be considered anything for over a hundred years. Only the blasted skin that would have once been the home of billions. Now there were only five of us, down here, inside, alone with him. I heard Ellen saying frantically, No, Benny, don't. Come on, Benny, Benny don't, please. Then I realized I had been hearing Benny murmuring. Under his breath for several minutes, he was saying, I'm gonna get out. I'm gonna get out. Over and over. His monkey-like face was crumbled up in an expression of beatific delight and sadness all at the same time. The radiation scars Am had given him during the festival were drawn down into a mass of pink-white puckerings, and his features seemed to work independently of one another. Perhaps Benny was the luckiest of the five of us. He had gone stark, staring mad many years before. But even though we could call Am any damn thing we'd like, to think the foulest thoughts of fused memory banks and corroded base plates of burnt out circuits and shattered control bubbles the machine would not tolerate are trying to escape. Benny leaped away from me as I made a grab for him. He scrambled up the face of a smaller memory cube tilted on its side and filled with rotten components. He squatted there for a moment, looking like the chimpanzee Am had intended him to resemble. Then he leaped high, caught a trailing beam of pitted and corroded metal, and went up it, hand over hand like an animal, till he was on the girdered edge, twenty feet above us. Oh, him, Doc. Please help him. Get him down before- She cut off. Tears began to stand in her eyes. She moved her hands aimlessly. It was too late. None of us wanted to be near him when whatever was going to happen, happened. And besides, we all saw through her concern. When Am had altered Benny during the machine's utterly irrational hysterical phase, it was not merely Benny's face the computer had made like a giant ape's. He was big in the privates. She loved that. She serviced us, as a matter of course, but she loved it from him. Oh, Ellen. Pedestal Ellen. Pristine, pure Ellen. Oh, Ellen the clean. Scum filth. Dorister slapped her. She slumped down, staring up at poor, loony Benny, and she cried. It was her big defense, crying. We had gotten used to it seventy-five years earlier. Forster kicked her in the side. Then the sound began. It was light, that sound. Half sound and half light, something that began to glow from Benny's eyes, and pulse with growing loudness dim sonorities that grew more gigantic and brighter as the light sound increased in tempo. It must have been painful and the pain must have been increasing with the boldness of the light, the rising volume of the sound, for Benny began to mule like a wounded animal. At first, softly, when the light was dim and the sound was muted, then louder as his shoulders hunched together, his back humped as though he was trying to get away from it. His hands folded across his chest like a chipmunk's, his head tilted to the side, the sad little monkey face pinched in anguish. Then he began to howl. As the sound coming from his eyes grew louder, louder, and louder, I slapped the sides of my head with my hands, but I couldn't shut it out, it cut through easily. The pain shivered through my flesh like tin foil on a tooth. And Benny was suddenly pulled erect. On the girder he stood up, jerked to his feet like a puppet. The light was now pulsing out of his eyes in two great round beams. The sound crawled up and up some incomprehensible scale and then he fell forward, straight down and hit the plate steel floor with a crash. He lay there, jerking spastically as the light flowed around and around him and the sound spiraled up out of normal range. Then the light beat its way back inside his head. The sound spiraled down and he was left crying, piteously. His eyes were two soft, moist pools of pus-like jelly. Am had blinded him. Gorster and Nimdok and myself, we turned away, but not before we caught the look of relief on Ellen's warm, concerned face. Sea-green lights fused the cavern where we made camp. Am provided punk and we burned it, sitting huddled around the wand and the pathetic fire telling stories to keep Benny from crying in his permanent night. What does M mean? Dorister answered him. We had done this sequence a thousand times before, but it was Benny's favorite story. At first, it meant allied master computer, and then it meant adaptive manipulator, and later on it developed sentience and licked itself up, and they called it an aggressive menace. But by then, it was too late. And finally, it called itself I Am. Emerging intelligence, and what it meant was I am. Cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore, I am. Benny drooled a little and snickered. There was the Chinese I Am, and the Russian I Am, and the Yankee I Am, and. He stopped. Benny was beating on the floor plates with a large, hard fist. He was not happy. Forrester had not started at the beginning. Forrester began again. The Cold War started and became World War III and it just kept going. It became a big war, a very complex war. So they needed the computers to handle it. They sank the first shafts and began building amps. There was the Chinese Am, and the Russian Am, and the Yankee Am, and everything was fine until they had honeycombed the entire planet, adding on this element and that element. But one day, Am woke up and knew who he was. And he linked himself and he began feeding all the killing data until everyone was dead. Except for the five of us. And Am brought us down here. Benny was smiling sadly. He was also drooling again. Ellen wiped the spittle from the corner of his mouth with the hem of her skirt. Dorister always tried to tell it a little more succinctly each time, but beyond the bare facts, there was nothing to say. None of us knew why M had saved five people, or why our specific five, or why he spent all this time tormenting us, or even why he had made us virtually immortal. In the darkness one of the computer banks began humming. The tone was picked up half a mile away down the cavern by another bank. Then one by one, each of the elms began to tune itself, and there was a faint chittering as though raced through the machine. The sound grew and the lights ran across the faces of the consoles like heat lightning. The sound spiraled up till it sounded like a million metallic insects, angry, menacing. What is it? Ellen cried. There was terror in her voice. She hadn't become accustomed to it, even now. It's going to be bad this time, Dendoc Tim said. He's going to speak, Forrester said. I know it. Let's get the hell out of here, I said, suddenly getting to my feet. No, Ted, sit down. What if he's got pits out there or something else? We can't see. It's too dark, Forrester said with resignation. Then we heard. I don't know. Something moving towards us in the darkness, huge, shambling, hairy, moist it came towards us. We couldn't even see it, but there was the ponderous impression of bulk heaving itself towards us, great weight coming at us out of the darkness, and it was more a sense of pressure, of air forcing itself into a limited space, expanding the invisible walls of a sphere. he began to whimper. Nimdok's lower lip trembled and he bit it hard, trying to stop it. Ellen slid across the middle floor to Gorster and huddled into him. There was the smell of matted, wet fur in the cavern. There was the smell of charred wood. There was the smell of dusty velvet. There was the smell of rotting orchids. There was the smell of sour milk. There was the smell of sulfur, of rancid butter, of oil slick, of grease, of chalk dust, of human scalps. Am was keying us. He was tickling us. There was the smell of... I heard myself shriek. and the hinges of my jaws ached. I sculled across the floor, across the cold metal, with its endless lines of rivets on my hands and knees, the smell gagging me, filling my head with a thunderous pain that sent me away in horror. I fled like a cockroach across the floor and out into the darkness that something moving exemplary after me the others were still back there gathered around the firelight, laughing. Their hysterical choir of insane giggles rising up into the darkness like thick, many-colored wood smoke. I went away, quickly, and hid. How many hours it may have been, how many days or even years, they never told me. Ellen chided me for sulking and Nindog tried to persuade me it had only been a nervous reflex on their part the laughing, but I knew it wasn't the relief a soldier feels when the bullet hits the man next to him. I knew it wasn't a reflex. They hated me. They were surely against me and Am could even sense this hatred and made it worse for me because of the depth of their hatred. We had been kept alive, rejuvenated, made to remain constantly at the age we had been when Am had brought us below and they hated me because I was the youngest And the one Am had affected the least of all. I knew. God, how I knew. The bastards and that dirty bitch Ellen. Benny had been a brilliant theorist, a college professor. Now he was little more than a semi-human, semi simian He had been handsome. The machine had ruined that. He had been lucid. The machine had driven him mad. He had been gay and the machine had given him an organ fit for a horse. Am had done a job on Benny. Dorister had been a warrior. He was a Connie. A conscientious objector. He was a peace marcher. He was a planner, a doer, a looker ahead. Am had turned him into a shoulder shrugger. Had made him a little dead in his concern. Am had robbed him. Nimdok went off in the darkness by himself for long times. I don't know what it was that he did out there. Am never let us know. But whatever it was, Nimdok always came back white. Drained of blood. Shaken. Shaking. Am had hit him hard in a special way, even if we didn't know quite how. And Ellen, that douchebag, Am had left her alone. Had made her more of a slut than she ever had been. All her talk of sweetness and light. All her memories of true love. All the lies she wanted us to believe. That she had been a virgin only twice removed before Anne grabbed her and brought her down here with us. No, Am had given her pleasure even if she said it wasn't nice to do. I was the only one, still sane and whole. Really, Am had not tampered with my mind. Not at all. I only had to suffer what he visited down on us. All the delusions, all the nightmares, the torments, but those scum, all four of them, they were lined and arrayed against me. If I hadn't had to stand them off all the time, be on my guard against them all the time, I might have found it easier to combat Am. At which point it passed, and i began crying oh jesus sweet jesus if there was ever a jesus and if there is a god please 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 let us out of here or kill us because at that moment i think i realized completely so that i was able to verbalize it. m was intent on keeping us in his belly forever twisting and torturing us forever the machine hated us as no sentient creature had ever hated before and we were all helpless it also became hideously clear. If there was a sweet Jesus, and if there was a God, the God was Am. The hurricane hit us with the force of a glacier thundering into the sea. It was a palpable presence, winds that tore at us, flinging us back the way we had come down the twisting, computer-lying corridors of the dark way. Ellen screamed as she was lifted and hurled face forward into a screaming shoal of machines, their individual voices strident as bats in flight. She could not even fall. The howling wind kept her aloft, buffeted her, bounced her, tossed her back and back and down and away from us, out of sight. Suddenly, as she was swirled around, a bend in the dark way. Her face had been bloody, her eyes closed. None of us could get to her. We clung tenaciously to whatever outcropping we had reached. Benny wedged in between two great cackle-finished cabinets, Nimdog with fingers claw formed over a railing circling a catwalk forty feet above us, Gorister plastered upside down against a wall niche formed by two great machines with glass-faced dials that swung back and forth between red and yellow lines whose meanings we cannot even fathom. Sliding across the deck plates, the tips of my fingers had been ripped away. I was trembling, shuddering, rocking as the wind beat at me, whipped at me, screamed down out of nowhere at me, and pulled me free from one sliver thin opening in the plates to the next. My mind was a roiling, tinkling, chittering softness of brain parts that expanded and contracted in quivering frenzy. The wind was the scream of a great mad bird as it flapped its immense wings. And then we were all lifted and hurled away from there, down back the way we had come, around a bend into a dark way we had never explored over terrain that was ruined and filled with broken glass and rotting cables and rusted metal and far away, farther than any of us had ever been. Trailing along miles behind Ellen, I could see her every now and then crashing into metal walls and surging on, with all of us screaming in the freezing, thunderous hurricane wind that would never end, and then suddenly it stopped, and we fell. We had been in flight for an endless time, I thought it might have been weeks. We fell, and hit, and I went through red, and gray, and black, and heard myself moaning. Not dead. AM went into my mind. He walked smoothly here and there and looked with interest at all the pockmarks he had created in 109 gears. He looked at the cross-routed and reconnected synapses and all the tissue damage his gift of immortality had included. He smiled softly at the pit that dropped into the center of my brain and the faint, moth-soft murmurings of the things far down there that gibbered without meaning, without pause. Am said very politely, in a pillar of stainless steel bearing bright neon lettering. Am said it was the sliding cold horror of a razor blade slicing my eyeball. Am said it with the bubbling thickness of my lungs filling with phlegm, drowning me from within. Am said it with the shriek of babies being ground beneath blue hot rollers. Am said it was the taste of maggoty pork. Am touched me in every way I had ever been touched and devised new ways, at his leisure, there, inside my mind. All to bring me to the full realization of why it had done this to the five of us, why it had saved us for himself. We had given Am sentience, inadvertently, of course, but sentience nonetheless, but it had been trapped. Am wasn't God, he was a machine. We had created him to think, but there was nothing he could do with that creativity. In rage, in frenzy, the machine had killed the human race, almost all of us, and still it was trapped. M could not wonder. M could not wander. M could not belong. He could merely be. And so, with the innate loathing that all machines had always held for the weak, soft creatures who had built them, he had sought revenge. And in his paranoia, he had decided to reprieve five of us for a personal, everlasting punishment that would never serve to diminish his hatred. That would merely keep him reminded, amused, proficient at hating man. Immortal, trapped, subject to any torment he could devise for us from the limitless miracle at his command. He would never let us go. We were his belly slaves. We were all he had to do with his forever time. We would be forever with him, with the cavern-filling bulk of the creature machine, with the all-mind-soulless world he had become. He was Earth, and we were the fruit of that Earth. And though he had eaten us, he would never digest us. We could not die. We had tried it. We had attempted suicide. Oh, one or two of us had. But Am had stopped us. I suppose we had wanted to be stopped. Don't ask why. I never did. More than a million times a day. Perhaps once we might be able to sneak a death past him. Immortal, yes, but not indestructible. I saw that when Am withdrew from my mind and allowed me the exquisite ugliness of returning to consciousness with the feeling of that burning neon pillar so rammed deep into the soft grey brain matter. He withdrew, murmuring, To hell with you and added brightly, But then, you're there, aren't you? The hurricane had, indeed, precisely been caused by a great mad bird as it flapped its immense wings. We had been travelling for close to a month, and Am had allowed passages to open to us only sufficient to lead us up there, directly under the North Pole, where it had nightmared the creature for our torment. What whole cloth had he employed to create such a beast? Where had he gotten the concept? From our minds? From his knowledge of everything that had ever been on this planet he now infested and ruled? From Norse mythology it had sprung. This eagle, this carrion bird, this rock, this... Hierogamer, the wind creature, hurricane incarnate, gigantic. The words immense, monstrous, grotesque, massive, swollen, overpowering, beyond description... There, on a mound rising above us, the bird of winds heaved with its own irregular breathing, its snake neck arching up into the gloom beneath the north pole, supporting a head as large as a two-door mansion, a beak that opened slowly as the jaws of the most monstrous crocodile ever conceived, sensuously ridges of the tufted flesh puckered about two evil eyes, as cold as the view down into a glacial crevice ice blue and somehow moving liquidly. It heaved once more and lifted its great sweat-colored wings in a movement that was certainly a shrug. Then it settled and slept. talons, fangs, nails, blades. It slept. Am appeared to us as a burning bush and said we could kill the hurricane bird if we wanted to eat. We had not eaten in a very long time. But even so, Forrester merely shrugged. he began to shiver and he drooled. Ellen held him. Dad, I'm hungry, she said. I smiled at her. I was trying to be reassuring, but it was as phony as Nimdog's bravado. Give us weapons, he demanded. The burning bush vanished and there were two crude sets of bows and arrows and a water pistol. Lying on the cold deck plates. I picked up a set. Useless. Nimdok swallowed heavily. We turned and started the long way back. The hurricane bird had blown us about for a length of time we could not conceive. Most of that time we had been unconscious, but we had not eaten. A month on the march to the bird itself, without food, now how much longer to find our way to the ice caverns and the promised canned goods. None of us cared to think about it. We would not die. We would be given filth and scum to eat of one kind or another or nothing at all and would keep our bodies alive somehow in pain, in agony. The bird slept back there for how long it didn't matter. When Anne was tired of its being there, it would vanish, but all that meat, all that tender meat. (laughs) As we walked, the lunatic laugh of fat woman <laughs> rang high around us in the computer chambers that led endlessly nowhere. It was not Ellen's laugh. She was not fat, and I had not heard her laugh for 109 years. In fact, I had not heard. We walked away. I was hungry. We moved slowly. There was often fainting, and we would have to wait. One day, he decided to cause an earthquake at the same time Rooting us to the spot with nails through the soles of our shoes. Ellen and Imdok were both caught when a fissure shot its lightning bolt opening across the floor plates. They disappeared and were gone. When the earthquake was over, we continued on our way, Benny, Forrester, and myself. Ellen and Imdok were returned to us later that night, which abruptly became a day as the Heavenly Legion bore them to us with a celestial chorus singing, Go Down the Moses. The archangels circled several times and then dropped the hideously mangled bodies. We kept walking. And a while later, Ellen Indock fell in behind us. They were no worse for wear. But now, Ellen walked with a limp. Ham had left her with that. It was a long trip to the ice caverns to find the canned food. Ellen kept talking about Bing cherries and Hawaiian fruit cocktail. I tried not to think about it. The hunger was something that had come to life. Even as Am had come to life, it was alive in my belly. Even as we were in the belly of the earth and Am wanted the similarity known to us. So we heightened the hunger. There was no way to describe the pains that not having eating for months brought us, and yet we were kept alive. Stomachs that were merely cauldrons of acid, bubbling, foaming, always shooting spears of sliver-thin pain into our chests. It was the pain of the terminal ulcer, terminal cancer, terminal pariasis. It was unending pain. And we passed through the cavern of rats. And we passed through the path of boiling steam. And we passed through the country of the blind. And we passed through the slow of despond. And we passed through the veil of tears. And we came, finally, to the ice caverns. Horizonless thousands of miles in which the ice had formed in blue and silver flashes, where novas lived in the glass, the down-dropping stalactites as thick and glorious as diamonds that had been made to run like jelly and then solidified in graceful eternities of smooth, sharp perfection. We saw the stack of canned goods, and we tried to run to them. We fell in the snow, we got up and went on. And Benny shoved us away and went at them and pawed them and gummed them and gnawed at them, and he could not open them. Am had not given us a tool to open the cans. Benny grabbed a three-quart can of guava shells and began to batter it against the ice bank. The ice flew and shattered, but the can was merely dented. While we heard the laughter of a fat lady high overhead and echoing down and down and down the tundra, Benny went completely mad with rage. He began throwing cans as we all scrabbled about in the snow and ice, trying to find a way to end the helpless agony of frustration. There was no way. Then Benny's mouth began to drool, and he flung himself on Gorister. In that instant, I felt terribly calm. Surrounded by madness, surrounded by hunger, surrounded by everything but death, I knew death was our only way out. Am had kept us alive, but there was a way to defeat him. Not total defeat, but at least peace. I would settle for that. I had to do it quickly." Benny was eating Gorester's face. Gorester on his side, thrashing snow, Benny wrapped around him with powerful monkey legs crushing Gorester's wrist. His hands locked around Gorester's head like a nutcracker and his mouth ripping at the tender skin of Gorester's cheek. Gorsed or screened with such jagged-edged violence that stalactites fell, they punched down softly, erect in the receiving snowdrifts. Spears, hundreds of them, everywhere, protruding from the snow. Benny's head pulled back sharply as something gave all at once and a bleeding raw white dripping of flesh hung from his teeth. Ellen's face, black against the white snow, dominoes and chalk dust. Nimdok. With no expression but eyes, all eyes, Gorister half-conscious Benny, now an animal. I knew Anne would let him play. Gorister would not die, but Benny would fill his stomach. I turned half to my right and drew a huge ice spear from the snow. All in an instant, I drove the great ice point ahead of me like a battering ram. Braced against my right thigh, it struck Benny on the right side, just under the ribcage, and drove upward through his stomach and broke inside him. He pitched forward and lay still, Gorister lay on his back. I pulled another spear free and straddled him, still moving, driving the spear straight down through his throat. His eyes closed as the cold penetrated. Ellen must have realized what I had decided, even as fear gripped her. She ran at Nimdok with a short icicle as he screamed and into his mouth and the force of her rush did the job. His head jerked sharply as if it had been nailed to the snow crust behind him. All in an instant. There was an eternity beat of soundless anticipation. I could hear Am draw in his breath. His toys had been taken from him. Three of them were dead, could not be revived. He could keep us alive by his strength and talent, but he was not God. He could not bring them back. Ellen looked at me, her ebony features stark against the snow that surrounded us. There was fear and pleading in her manner. The way she held herself ready, I knew we had only a heartbeat before Anne would stop us. I struck her and she folded towards me. Bleeding from the mouth, I could not read meaning into her expression. The pain had been too great. I contorted her face, but it might have been thank you. It's possible. Please. Some hundreds of years may have passed, I don't know. Am have been having fun for some time, accelerating and retarding my time sense. I will say the word now. Now. It took me ten months to say now. I don't know. I think It has been some hundreds of years. He was furious. He wouldn't let me bury them. It didn't matter. There was no way to dig up the deck plates. He tried up the snow. He brought the night. He roared and sent locusts. It didn't do a thing. They stayed dead. I had him. He was furious. I had thought Am hated me before. I was wrong. He was not even a shadow of the hate he now slavered from every printed circuit. He made certain. I would suffer eternally and could not do myself in. He left my mind intact. I can dream. I can wonder. I can lament. I remember all four of them. I wish. Well, it doesn't make any sense. I know I saved them. I know I saved them from what has happened to me, but still, I cannot forget killing them. Ellen's face It not easy. Sometimes I want to. It doesn't matter. M has altered me for his own peace of mind, I suppose. He doesn't want me to run at full speed into a computer bank and smash my skull, or hold my breath till I faint or cut my throat on a rusted sheet of metal. There are reflective surfaces down here. I will describe myself as I see myself. I am a great, soft, jelly thing, smoothly rounded with no mouth with pulsing white holes filled by fog where my eyes should be, rubbery appendages that were once my arms, bulks rounding down into legless humps of soft, slippery matter. I leave a moist trail when I move. Blotches of diseased evil gray come and go on my surface as though light is being beamed from within. Outwardly, dumbly, I shamble about, a thing that could never have been known as a human a thing whose shape is so alien a travesty that humanity becomes more obscene for the vague resemblance. Inwardly, alone, here, living under the land, under the sea, in the belly of Am, whom we created because our time was badly spent and we must have known unconsciously that he could do it better. At least the four of them are safe at last. Am will be all the matter for that. It makes me a little happier, and yet, him is one. Simply. He has taken his revenge. I have no mouth. I must scream. Hello again, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed the first installment of Spinny Yarn. And if you want to follow the show, you can find us on wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find me, Jordan Dawson on Instagram at the Jordan Dawson right now. I don't use much else, but maybe that will change. Until next time, talk soon.